new with us, that's who I am. Um, we welcome you to Christian Church Buckhead. It is uh, June the 5th, is it not? Uh, I spent seven hours yesterday in CPR training. I don't remember any of it. So if uh, something happens, don't run to me. Uh, although I do have the card. No, we had to do that for our adoption, which is happening ever so. Uh, I was telling somebody this. You, you, you sometimes, like you never forget that you're actually pregnant. Like that doesn't slip your mind. For those of you who are pregnant, anybody pregnant in here? You know what I'm saying, right? Thank you. But, <laughs> but sometimes you forget you're adopting. You know, like, <gasps> you know, and so they email and go, the baby's due in three weeks. And we're like, hmm. <laughs> So uh, I had ample time to think about that yesterday. So it's heavy on our hearts. It's due June. It's she is due uh, June the 24th. And so continue to pray for us as we get ready for that. Uh, we're excited about that. Yeah. Um, again, the way it will work is, um, well, let me just get into this and then we'll, I'll make something clear. Here's how we're going to do today. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the series that we're starting today. So you've come at the right time. We're starting a, a new thing today. And then um, after that, we're going to do kind of this greeting thing that the church does. You stand up, you grab some hands and say hello. Uh, and then after that, my friend David Byrne, he, he and his family have been part of our church for a, a while, very involved, is going to come up and share his story of uh, coming to faith, which is really cool. And so you'll get to hear from him. And then after that, we'll do some preaching. How's that sound? Uh, let me tell you about the series. It's called Water. And we had alternate titles like it's in the water, uh, don't drink the water for the Dave Matthews fans. Um, actually, these are just my alternate titles. Um, but we entitled it Water because uh, for several reasons. One, at the end of the month on June the 26th, which I probably won't even be here for this, so I'm very upset about, other than the fact that I'll be picking up a daughter, um, is Baptism Sunday. We do these throughout the year, and our second one's coming up uh, at the end of this month. And so that's happening, which was the catalyst to develop a series of four sermons on baptism, which normally you do one a year if that, but we just decided to do all four weeks about that topic. Now, not just me getting up here rambling about what I think is cool about baptism, but there are all these stories in the New Testament of people being baptized. If you just add the numbers up in the book of Acts, it's thousands of people. And, um, and so we thought we would just unfold four of those many stories of people being baptized and just learn from them. And today um, is about the baptism of Jesus, which is kind of a strange thing. And we'll talk about that uh, in a moment. So that's what we're doing. It leads us up to June the 26th. Um, also, we do this as well next Sunday and the Sunday after Jamie Vernon. Um, our own Jamie Vernon will be leading a baptism information coffee session at the 930 spot. So I know you 11 o'clock people that just totally went under your skin, 930. But if you're interested in learning more about uh, baptism, and more importantly, if you're interested in participating in baptism, certainly being baptized, that's a good place to go. However, it's totally fine if you just show up on the 26th in shorts and a T-shirt, which I know will be great this time of year, and you just walk down the aisle and say, I'm in, I'll get in the water, especially if it's cold. Um, which reminds me of my favorite baptism story from our church. Uh, Horace, whose name is on the baptistry over there a few years ago, walked up to me after first service. And this is what he said. I mean, we're, we're done, we're doing the kind of the thing you do between services. He walks up to me and he says, um, 
I need to get in that water. Which, I didn't know what he meant at first. Like, okay, are you, do you need a bath? Is that what you're saying? Uh, you look clean to me. And, uh, but he, he said, no, I want to be, be baptized. And I said, oh, great. And he just kept looking at me. And I said, today? Like second service? And he said, yeah. Which we don't keep it filled. So I said, no problem. No problem. We're going to fill it up between services. You just hang out. Now, we filled it up between services. And it, it has a heater in there, but it takes like all night to heat up. So it was freezing. Does anybody remember this story when he was here? Maybe you were here a couple years ago. So we didn't really let him on. That it, We didn't let him know that it was really cold, but it was ice cold. And so we get ready for the baptism, and he, he gets in, and y'all couldn't see, but the look on his face when he put his first foot in, I was like, this may not happen today. And um, <laughs> so he goes down into the baptistry, and he is completely shocked, just frozen sitting there. And he wouldn't go under. Like I was like, and we now baptize you in the name of the Father. And I couldn't move him. And... Um, which was a problem because baptism, the word itself, means immersion. So if he didn't go under, then it wasn't baptism. It was just him sitting in a cold pool. <laughs> and if you were here for that, the best part of that story was we had everybody cheer him on. Like, go under the water. I don't know what they said, but it was just my last-ditch effort that they didn't teach me in seminary. Uh, just have the people cheer. And so we had the people cheer, and he went under, and it was amazing, but it was a cool story. Uh, but what I like most about that story is not, it is the part of him just saying, today's the day, now's the time, I'm not waiting. It's very cool. And so at any time this month, you can do that. It's filled, we're ready to roll. If you are a person of faith and you have not been baptized, the challenge for you this month will be to do it. Simple as that. If you're a person who's put your trust and faith in Christ but have yet to do that part, then we're just challenging you to do it. And the 26th is your day, but you can do it anytime. And so it's very cool. So that's our series. We're going to talk about baptism for a month, which might be as crazy as talking about the Sabbath for six weeks, but we did that too. And so uh, we'll see how it goes. Thanks for being here. Stand up, say hello to some people, and then you'll hear from David. All right. Have a seat. If you would, slightly unhinged, borderlining on raucous, give it up for my friend David Burns.
Okay, that was cool. Um, are you ready? Matthew 3, page number will be on the screen. Uh, if you picked up a house Bible, you can turn there, page 670. And as I said earlier, we're going to look at this account of Jesus being baptized. Now, the whole New Testament gives like 10 verses to this, spread out over all four Gospels. So there's a few here, a few in Mark, a few in Luke, and John just kind of points to it. So it's just a real brief thing, and yet um, the baptism of Jesus is such a central thing in, in art and in teaching, and we just we often think of Jesus being mainly because that's the moment where, like, the dove came down. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's the thing that we think about when we think about the baptism of Jesus. So it's a pretty famous event. But it's kind of a head trip for people who are Christians because uh, mainly when we talk about baptism, when we think about baptism, and rightly so, we connect the act itself with becoming a follower of Jesus. And so when you read the New Testament, like particularly in the book of Acts, baptism was central to becoming a follower of Christ. So that's just some, some headway into what we're looking at today. Like when the stories are told in the New Testament of someone putting their trust and faith in Jesus, their baptisms are central to that story, almost immediate. We'll look at this story next week in Acts 2, but uh, let me just try to phrase this so you get the weight of this story that we're looking at next week. There's a story in Acts 2 where 3,000 men were baptized in one day. Now, let me just say an aside. In the first generation church, men went first. They jumped in first. You need people to serve? Us. You need people to do things for the poor? We'll do it. You need people to take care of the widows? We'll do it. The men went first. And in the story of the 3,000 being baptized, it's very clear, men. The men went on the water first. They led the way, not because they were better, but because they just led the way. Now that story has changed in the church around the world where it's predominantly, the seats are predominantly filled with females. And the men have sort of, you go first. And we won't follow, typically. So that's just a head. If you don't want to come next week if you're a man, that might be a good idea. <laughs> Actually, it has nothing to do with the lesson. But the reason these men were baptized was because they heard Peter, a disciple of Jesus, teach about Jesus post-resurrection. And they went up to him and they said, okay, this story of Jesus you just told, what do we do about that? Because we believe what you said. So what do we do about that? And Peter's answer was very simple. He says, repent, which means change your ways, go the other way. The direction you're heading is not the right direction. So turn, go the way of Jesus. And then the second thing he mentioned to them was, get in the river. Go be baptized. And they got it. 3,000 in the river. And so in the church, baptism has this meaning, this picture of repentance and obedience and becoming a follower of Jesus. So it's what you do when you become his student, his disciple. So the, but this story of Jesus being baptized, like what do you do with that? Because if baptism is about following Jesus, what is Jesus' baptism about? Is it about following himself? What, is, what does it mean when we look, again, we gloss over it, oh, it's so beautiful, it's pretty, but like what is it about? What was going on in the river with Jesus at his own baptism. Now often, uh, we look at the baptism of Jesus and we see it as an example for us. Like Jesus did this to set an example for us. He did it to show us that we should do it too. 
uh, Jamie and I joked about this particular message, and I said, I guess I could just get up there and cry and say, don't you want to be baptized because Jesus was baptized? But sometimes that's what we hear. And there is some validity to that, for sure. I mean, Jesus will eventually ask his own disciples to do the same thing. In his final and very heavy conversation with his disciples that we call the Great Commission, at the end of Matthew in uh, chapter 28, he tells them to go and make more disciples, and then the instructions were to, uh, he says here, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he will eventually ask them to do that. And those disciples, when hearing those words from him, they could look back and remember that, yes, this is something that Jesus himself also did. And so there is a sense in which as Jesus gets in the water, he is setting the pace for us. So at the, at the minimum, we can push all the objections aside that we may have for not wanting to do it. And we're still left with the two truths that Jesus did it and that he calls his disciples to do it too. You can't erase those. It reminds me of Hebrews uh, in, the, in the book of Hebrews where the writer says, there isn't anything that Jesus hasn't been through that we've been through. That he has been tempted in every way, that he has gone through everything that you and I could go through, including something as awkward and embarrassing as baptism. So there is a sense in which there's an example being set, but to drop down into this story with Jesus and his cousin John, is to discover that there's so much more going on here than precedent. There's something much deeper, much more challenging, much more beautiful than just example, right? Though it certainly is that, but to simply walk away with only that idea is to really miss the profound beauty and the challenge of what happened on that day. Look at verse 15 of the story in chapter 3. This is the central piece of it here. It's the only time in this account where Jesus speaks. And we're going to circle around this today, but we'll go ahead and get it out there. Um, Jesus says in, re in reply to John, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, speaking of baptism, us, meaning John was going to do that to him, to fulfill, fulfill, that's, you know, you've grown up here when you say fulfill, fulfill. <laughs> I was born in Piedmont Hospital. I can say that with total authority. Uh, it's proper for us to do this to fulfill all what? Righteousness. Now that's interesting, and so we'll look at that in a moment. But that is what we want to circle around today. This is not just about precedent or example. This is about something far heavier uh, seen in the words of Jesus that, no, we're doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Then it says John consented. But the backstory here in verses 13 and 14 is important. So look back in verses 13. We'll start with 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, that's a river, to be baptized by John. Now this is the same John that is his cousin. And so they know one another. So he comes to the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized, from the Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Now as a kid, I, you know, saw this is more like a statement of respect, like John was just classifying the two people, him versus me. Essentially, John was saying, you're Jesus, I'm not. You're son of God, I'm not. This is the way I saw it, so let's switch places. You baptize me, right? And to a degree, that's a pretty good assessment. But what we know is that John has a pretty good beat on who Jesus is. 
And so because he knows who Jesus is, and Jesus comes to be baptized by him, John is trying to refuse the task. I don't want to do it. You should do it to me, in fact. Now turn back to verses 1 through 3 in chapter 3. This is a very short version of a long story, but it says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea, saying, quote, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then uh, Matthew says, This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So John's role in life was to prepare the way of the Lord. Now the phrase prepare the way was a phrase often used for a king's travel. So a team of people would go out ahead of the king. The king's like, I'm going to make my way to a certain city, but I need to pass through some towns. And so a team of people would go out and prepare the way for the king. Some of it is safety precautions for sure, but most of it is to let the towns know that he's coming so that there are parties and great food to eat and celebrations and parades. So to prepare the way in the ancient world was to send the team out, prepare the cities, the villages, the towns where the king would be passing through to prepare them for his coming. And so John uh, spent his entire life with this mission to prepare the way of the coming Savior. Now he did this by, of course, preaching and teaching. He had his very own disciples and the other thing he was doing was baptizing. And so when Jesus showed up at the River Jordan that day, John was kind of ready to step back and change seats and give Jesus the wheel because he saw, uh, he saw his role of preparing the way as finished. So what was going on, or, or what was going to be this great moment of uh, beauty turned out to be this awkward exchange between two people, two cousins. Now, in verse 14, sorry, this is really just sort of like a Bible study today, but I'll, I'll try and insert some inspiration. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Now, there is a story here, and there is a, a reason that John feels awkward about baptizing Jesus, because what John knows of Christ, of Jesus Christ, is that he's the Savior, he's the promised one, he's the sinless Lamb of God. So let me give you a brief history of baptism in, in like two minutes. There are stories in the Old Testament uh, that we can connect the act of baptism to, but they were basically ceremonial washings, which were done physically to clean yourself up from uh, if you touch the dead body, which I know is a problem today in our world, uh, in our own lives, but if you had contact with a dead body or if you had just given birth or whatever, you would go through these ceremonial washings to basically clean yourself, to become socially pure, acceptable back into the world. And these washings, though physical in nature, they had some spiritual and theological connections, but mainly they were done simply to be clean. But in the decades prior to Jesus, baptism started to crop up in communities uh, like that we see today where they're totally immersion in water, it started to crop up in communities as a spiritual thing, not just physical, but spiritual. There was a community that lived around the Dead Sea just generations before Jesus. Uh, they were known as the Essene community, part of the Qumran community where the Dead Sea Scrolls 
the same. And um, again, the short version of a, a very long story is that these people were a very strict sect of Judaism. They had, they hit the eject button on culture. They completely escaped from the cities that were becoming Hellenized. And part of their spiritual practice and culture was baptism. And they had their own baptistry. It was called a mikvah. You can find these in synagogues today. But it had a staircase going in one side and a staircase going out the other. And what they would use this for is not just conversion into their community, but it was also something you did every year as a repentance of sin, a cleansing of sin. So it's done once to convert to the community and annually as an act of repentance. And then some communities started to do this as you entered worship. You just did it as you entered worship. But the things that were uh, a couple of specifics that are interesting is, one, it was done by yourself. It was a solitary act. You walked through and out by yourself. So you submerged yourself and then you walked out. It was also done in the nude in front of the whole community, which we've decided not to adopt that practice. Although it may raise attendance, I don't know. And there were no baptism assistants. Now, this is the important part. Simply because baptism was associated with the cleansing of sin. And therefore, nobody could touch you. And so you would walk through the baptistry yourself alone in, soli in solitude because you could not have contact with the sinful person. Notice John one twenty four. This is great. Uh, the Pharisees go to John the Baptist. This is why they're questioning him. Now, some of the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why, why then do you baptize? Why are you doing the baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So they had this idea that you couldn't touch, like baptism was something you did self-directed. But John is the first person in recorded history to actually grab somebody by the head and put them under water, dirtying his hands. And so the Pharisees are saying, why do you do that if you're not Jesus, if you're not the Christ? They wouldn't have said Jesus, but if you're not the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah. So this is where John got his nickname, by the way, John the Baptizer, not John the Baptist, like he's you know part of the Baptist church down the street. He's John the Baptizer because he's doing it, because baptism was something you did yourself to yourself, and no one had ever seen anyone else baptize someone before. And so what used to be this self-directed thing turned into this passive, submissive thing. And that's one of the first lessons about baptism. So when Jesus came to the river that day, baptism, and this is important, was simply understood as something you did to remove the sin from your life. Now, are you understanding why John's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you in the water? Because everybody knows that this is about sin and the need for forgiveness. Because baptism was a rededication of your own commitment to God and his ways in your life. So it was humiliating on two levels. One, you look ridiculous. And if you've been baptized in here, I'm sure that went through your mind like, do I have to do this in front of people? Because no one looks great, you know, coming out of a pool. So it was humiliating in the physical sense, but more so because you were making a statement to everyone around you and ultimately to God that you were in need of forgiveness and mercy. And whether you stood in the baptistry and just listed off the things that you needed forgiveness for or not, everybody knows that you're in there because you're messed up. 
So Jesus walks down into the river, and his cousin John tries to put the brakes on and says, uh, this should be the other way around. And then Jesus says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Now, I don't have many notes on this section, so let me just state it very simply. This statement about we need to do this to fulfill all righteousness is a statement of mission and purpose. And it's essentially Jesus saying, God has sent me here for a reason. And it is to, as we all know, on the back end, to live this kind of life, to die a certain kind of death, and to raise again. He has sent me here to fix a broken world, to die for the sins of the world, to provide forgiveness and grace and so forth. All these things that we know. And when he says we have to do this to fulfill all righteousness, this is the very first step of Jesus entering and committing to that mission. Now that's way up here, perhaps, very theological, but there is this is the first public event of Jesus in the Gospels. And it's an act of humiliation. And the last public event of Jesus in the Gospels will also be an act of humiliation. He'll die on a cross naked in front of people. So the whole story is bookended. The whole earthly story is bookended with uncomfortable, awkward, submissive acts of Jesus. When he steps into the water and John says no, and Jesus says yes, we have to do this. It's the kickstart, it's the beginning of this mission that God has sent me here to fulfill. And it begins, and this is important, it begins with Jesus being baptized, which is, again, it's a head trip because for John it's about sin, but Jesus is sort of changing the nature of baptism, saying it's actually about aligning your life with what God wants. And so his baptism is full of beauty and challenge. And its beauty lies here in the declaration of submission to God and his will. That's what he means by that. And when Jesus says we've got to do this to fulfill the whole thing, there's something very selfless about that. Because he's speaking of you and me and everyone, the whole world. There's something other in his words. He was focused fully on what God had called him to do and sent him here to do. And ultimately, it was Jesus conforming to that will. And baptism was the physical act and the, in, in the outward declaration that someone was moving from their own way to God's way. Now, even in the baptism of John, which was, again, just about forgiveness of sin, it's still a statement of, I've been going my own way, and now I'm making a commitment to go God's way. And so that element is still there because... Jesus is doing this to fulfill what God had sent him there to do, and this is the first step, and it's his public declaration to the world around him and to everyone in the river that day. And for us, 2,000 years later, reading the story, Jesus saying, I'm in the river because God has called me on this mission, and I don't want to go my way. I'm going to go his way. Now, he'll say this again in the garden the night before his death, not your will, but mine. Now, this story is a story about Jesus' obedience to that call on his life and how his baptism was the announcement of that.
the start of that mission. And somehow we do use this as a backdrop for our baptisms today in that they are declarations of repentance, of moving from my way to God's way. But because baptism is associated with sin and uncleanliness and the need to be cleared of those things, it was a symbolic act of repentance because everyone knew that the water had nothing to do with it. The water has nothing to do with a, a person's spiritual uh, condition. There's a, I don't have this on the screen for you, but in, um, I think it's 1 Peter 3, or 1 Peter 3.20, I think. It's not. Um, but it, it's a really good verse, and it's in one of the letters that Peter wrote. But um, he says, essentially, he asks the question, does baptism save you? The washing of dirt from the body, does that save you? And Peter says, no. But it's the heart of the reason. It's the heart of the person that comes to the water. That's the moment where you and God connect. And baptism becomes the act, the outward act, the symbolic act of a new way. Because again, everybody knew that it didn't have anything to do with the water, and the water had nothing to do with a person's spiritual condition. But it was and is the heart of that person that brought them to the water that mattered the most. And it was the heart of someone who was ready to ceremonially come clean with God and with everyone else who was watching. And it was also the heart that was prepared to say to all who watched that their life was changing direction and mission. This is why Paul refers to, we'll look at this later in the series, this is why Paul refers to baptism in very strong words as a funeral, as a death, and then a new life. The Gospels are much softer than Paul was. Paul says, oh no, no, your baptism was your funeral. And your life now is different. You're going God's way. And this is the first event in the life of Jesus in the Gospels where he is doing something that is associated with forgiveness of sin. And I hope this makes sense. And more than that, he was submitting himself to something that was done by people who needed forgiveness and mercy. Very profound. Because baptism was something you did because you needed it. And when Jesus goes through with this, it has this picture of him standing in the midst of our sin. Finally, Second uh, Corinthians 5. If you'll turn there. I mean, 2 Corinthians 5 is all about um, God reconciling himself to us through his son. And then in verse 21, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the what? The righteousness of God. Now, you could spend your whole life rolling that over. That Jesus is in the water in the Jordan saying, we got to do this to fulfill all righteousness. I got to get in the water where sin runs from the people who are in there. And then we come to this verse in 2 Corinthians where 
Paul says, Oh, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that beautiful? And then back in our story in closing in chapter 3 of Matthew, it says in verse 16, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It's a quote from Psalm chapter 2. But it's essentially, it's very beautiful, but it's essentially uh, Jesus being told by his Father, Welcome to the mission. Welcome to the show. Welcome to what I've called you to do. So it's a very challenging thing for us. And so when we are baptized and we're challenged to be baptized, if you haven't done that before, it's part of the lesson and and many of the lessons that we'll try and teach week to month about it. One of those is simply making the statement that I'm now going to go God's way and not just my way. And God will become the God of my ways. And again, we have, at the very minimum, the example of Jesus doing the same thing. And we're all thankful for that. Because this was the first of many acts and life experiences for Jesus that would be both humiliating and very difficult. But all the way to the cross, through the grave, and into the resurrection, we're thankful for his obedience and his commitment to the mission to the world. I'm going to pray and then we'll move into a time of communion, which is located on the four tables around the room. And then uh, after I pray, you can make your way to one of those. And then uh, we'll sing a couple songs on the way out uh, today. So stay, stay put. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, a wonderful gathering of your people. And thank you for... Uh, the story of your son beginning his, to fulfill his call. Um, And it began with his own baptism, which has completely renovated uh, the act itself. It has completely changed um, why we do it. But God, we look back at your son and we say, and we see that he walked into this river that he didn't need to be in. And he went through something that for us is a, a very beautiful thing to see in art and, and literature, um, but a very real act of obedience. And so let that be a challenge to us. Uh, for those who have done that, uh, that we continually remember the commitment we made to you. And for those who um, are still wondering about it, that you would uh, begin to encourage them that this is what you've called them to do. Uh, to be humiliated for you. Um, to give us the strength to trust you in, uh, in our lives and in our relationships and in everything that we do. In your name that we pray.